When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Why, hello there and welcome back. I am Stephanie Safarian, and you are listening to episode 138 of the Sustainable Minimalist podcast. I'm so happy you have joined me today. On today's show, we are discussing all things lawns and backyards. Now, this episode is a two-part series on water. This is the second part in that two-part series. If you missed last week's episode, episode 137, we dove deep into the global freshwater crisis. And on this week's episode, I am answering a listener's question as we discuss everything As it relates to our lawns, our lawns' water footprints, the pesticide application that they demand, and so much more. My goal today is to make your backyard as well as mine more eco-friendly for ourselves, for our children who play on it and in it, and for the species too that call our yards their homes. Now, Americans, we are so obsessed with our lawns, right? Here in America, lawns are the most grown crop, and its primary purpose is to make our homes look good. It doesn't give us food. (laughs) It is just there to add aesthetic appeal. Now, in a perfect world, your grass is vibrant and green. There are no weeds within your grass, right? And there is certainly no dandelions. Your grass is lush. It is neatly edged. It is perfectly cut to an inch and a half tall. I'm sure in your mind right now, you are picturing that idyllic lawn. Maybe that's your reality. Maybe it's not. It is certainly (laughs) not my lawn's reality, but maybe it is for you. In order to achieve that idyllic lawn, though, you must be willing to shell out the money to have it mowed, repaired, and cultivated, and seeded. If you're not willing to shell out the money to have somebody else do all that for you, you must be willing to shell out the time to do it yourself. And that doesn't even touch on the water constraints that your lawn requires. If you have a lawn but you don't have an irrigation system, you must commit to watering it daily. We're going to get into the status symbol that is our lawns. We're going to talk about all the implications, environmental implications, time implications that our lawns require. And then we are going to get into a bunch. I believe I have 15 tips and tricks for you 
to eco-friendlyify your yard. And I must say on a personal note, as I was researching everything for this episode, I learned so much. And my genuine goal is for you to also learn something as well. Now, before we get into it, a quick note that everything we talk about today can be found in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 138. And another quick note here is that for the first time, I am thrilled to report that the podcast has not one, but two sponsors. So two sponsors have generously paid for everything that goes into this podcast this week. I will be highlighting them in the middle of the episode, and they are two really spectacular, sustainability-focused companies, so be on the lookout for that as well. All right, so let's move right in to the status symbol that is our lawns, and it is a status thing, is it not? I even find myself falling into that trap of wanting to have the nice lawn. We don't, by the way. But if I'm not going to have a nice lawn or a perfect lawn, I definitely don't want to be the house on the block with the worst one, right? No one wants to be the ugly yard in the neighborhood. (laughs) Now, we are in the habit on this podcast of rethinking the status quo, are we not? And so if we are to examine our consumer culture with a critical eye, it isn't so far of a stretch to then get a bit critical with our emphasis as a society on our yards and our lawns. The reality here is that just like our purchases say something about us, our lawns say something about us too, says something powerful about us. The state of your lawn says something more specifically about your level of success. I just read an article in Scientific American that argued that your lawn is the physical manifestation of the American dream of home ownership. And I will link to that article in this week's show notes if you're interested. But basically, if you have a well-maintained lawn, you are telling others non-verbally that you have the money or the time to maintain it. Now, a well-maintained lawn says some other things about you too. It gives a ballpark number into your home's value. It also mentions something about whether or not you are a good neighbor. Do you maintain your lawn and do you then also therefore uphold the aesthetics of your neighborhood or do you not? It should surprise absolutely nobody listening right now that entire industries have popped up to help homeowners care for their yards. There are, of course, the landscapers, but there are also the corporations that sell equipment. They sell seed or fertilizer or insecticides. You name it. You can buy it. You can put it on your lawn. Also, not surprisingly, is the fact that there are environmental considerations at play when we discuss everything related to lawns and lawn maintenance. So as we pivot into those environmental considerations, I have five considerations for you. And the first, of course, is water. You knew we were going to talk about water today, as this is an extension of last week's episode. The biggest concern when it comes to our lawns, of course, comes to their water requirements. 
the average lawn in the average yard (laughs) of the average American requires one inch of water per week. And that comes to 0.6 gallons of water per square foot. Now, if you're like me and those numbers just jumble up in your head and make no sense, just stay with me. For my international listeners, that comes to five liters of water per square meter. Hefty water needs deplete our freshwater reserves unnecessarily. And again, if you have no idea what a freshwater reserve is, go back, listen to episode 137 of this podcast. It was just last week. Now, there are financial costs to using such significant amounts of water just to hydrate a lawn, right? It is impossible for me to give averages here because the amount of water you use on your lawn is dependent on the size of your lawn, but it's also dependent on the cost of water in your area. But just for reference here, a 100 by 100 square foot yard at $2 per 1,000 gallons of water, plus that $4 per 1,000 gallons of water for sewerage, easily adds up at the end of the month to over $150 per month. So think about your location. How many months per year are you watering the lawn? Multiply that by 150, and that would be your yearly cost. Here in the Northeast, where I live, we have a fairly short watering season, a fairly short spring and summer, I would say maybe four months. But even so, that amounts to $600 a year just watering the lawn. Now, I have included a lawn irrigation cost calculator in this week's show notes for you to plug in your unique values and determine exactly how much you are spending on watering your lawn if you're interested. So that's the first consideration. It's, of course, water. The second one out of five is the fertilizer implications. Do you put fertilizer on your lawns to keep it lush and vibrant green and healthy looking? Chemical fertilizers are pollutants. They pollute the water table, they pollute rivers, they pollute air, and they pollute soil. And with regular use, you may even be doing a disservice to the lawn that you're trying to keep vibrant and lush and green because it damages the soil and it kills the soil's microbes. Consideration number three has to do with those pesticide applications. And when we talk about pesticide application, what we're really needing to talk about is the pollinators. I am willing to bet that most of you have heard through the grapevine that pollinating insects like bees and butterflies and moths and hummingbirds, they're important, right? They're so important. But you may not know why they're important. And so if you have seen the Save the Bees images online, but you don't fully grasp the why, I want to really dive into why you and I should not just you know, like that image of the Save the Bees meme online or share that image, but instead why we should all be active in trying to save them. And when we talk about the pollinators, specifically today, I'm just going to talk about the bees. Bees aren't particularly lovable, right? (laughs) If you were stung as a kid by anything with a stinger, you are likely very afraid of bees and wasps and hornets and the like. But Without trying to sound too much of an exaggerator, I feel confident in saying that bees are the lifeblood of our existence, and that is because their pollination 
allows our plants, our food, our food crops to reproduce. And without pollinators, we as humans are in deep trouble. (laughs) I'm laughing, but that's an awkward laugh. That's a, this is really hard to say out loud because it's sad and true laugh. (laughs) It is impossible to know how quickly the bees are dying, but they're definitely dying. Greenpeace USA estimates that among crops that require bee pollination, the number of bee colonies per hectare has declined by 90% since 1962. Think about that. In the last 60 years, the bee population has declined by 90%. Now, there are a lot of factors that are contributing to bee colony collapse, and it's not just 100% pesticides fault. There are viruses, there are mites, there is climate change, there is fungus. My husband became a beekeeper this spring and so it's only been about three months with the bees and our colony is infested with mites which we're currently trying to work through now. Another one though, something that's not helping, not helping the bees, is those insecticides and pesticides. When we spray pesticides on our plants to keep the bugs off, and then a bee comes over and crawls on the plants and in the flowers, it can kill that bee right away, and the bee dies and does not go back to the hive. Or the bee can come into contact with that insecticide, carry it back into the hive on its little feet, on its wings, and then can potentially cause widespread colony death. So that is more specifically as to how insecticides affect the pollinators. Environmental consideration number four when it comes to our lawns is pollution. Those gasoline-powered lawn and garden equipments that we have in our sheds, they are sources of high levels of localized emissions such as air pollutants and carbon dioxide, which, of course, makes them serious polluters of our air and our atmosphere. There is also the noise pollution consideration from those mowers and weed whackers. Sound is measured in decibels, and sounds that reach 85 decibels or higher can harm our ears. For reference, those lawnmowers that you you and I may or may not have, they reach 90 decibels, so they do hurt our hearing. And then there's the effects of noise pollution on the health of wildlife. Studies have shown that loud noises causes caterpillars' hearts to beat faster, and loud noises also cause bluebirds to have fewer chicks. Animals use sound to find food, to attract a mate, and noise pollution makes it difficult for them to accomplish these tasks, which then in turn affects their ability to survive. Now, finally, when it comes to implications of our lawns, this next one is not so much an environmental implication, but more of a minimalist one. And that is one that I alluded to at the beginning of the episode. Our yards take enormous amounts of time and energy. And if you're not putting in the time and the energy, then you're putting in the money for somebody else to do it. Maintaining a yard is not a minimalist habit. (laughs) And I know some of you may disagree with me on this because you like maintaining your yards. And if that is you, I am so jealous. I wish I enjoyed 
cutting the lawn. (laughs) But for me and for most listeners, I would argue that yard maintenance, and I'm talking yard maintenance, I'm not talking garden maintenance right now, just yard maintenance. Yard maintenance is just another to-do item on our already overflowing to-do lists. Before we hop right into the tips and tricks I have for you today, a quick note from both of this week's sponsors. Our first sponsor is Real Paper. The average American family uses three rolls of toilet paper per week, but there are big problems with conventional toilet paper. Before it was toilet paper, it was a tree, and standing trees are cut down to make paper for our wiping needs every single day. Enter Real Paper, which offers an affordable 100% bamboo solution. Because bamboo grows faster than trees and requires fewer resources to produce, toilet paper made from bamboo is more eco-friendly than toilet paper made from trees. I appreciate that Real Paper is strong yet soft. I also love that an entire month's supply arrives at my doorstep in plastic-free packaging. Even the tape was paper-based. And as a conscious consumer, I appreciate that Real Paper makes its sustainability efforts transparent on its website. Ordering is as easy as heading to realpaper.com, that's R-E-E-L paper.com, and choosing how often you want yours delivered. Use code SUSTAINABLEMINIMALIST at checkout for free shipping and 25% off your first order. Our second sponsor this week is itemarie.com. Itemarie is a curated online store that fights back against single-use culture by offering products with purpose. Itemarie is my go-to shop when buying gifts for loved ones and for myself, because the site's badge system makes it easy to shop according to my values. I can filter by beauty, by fashion, or by homeware products based on zero waste, vegan, recycled materials, and more. I appreciate that Item Marie highlights items made in the USA and Canada because local goods reduce carbon emissions and are usually of higher quality than their mass-produced equivalents. And because each product has a story, I feel good supporting real people over big-name corporations. Head over to itemarie.com, that's I-T-E-M-E-R-I-E.com, and use code MAMAMINIMALIST at checkout for 10% off your first purchase and get free shipping to the U.S. and Canada with code FREESHIPPING, please. Now, as we move right into tips, I have so many of them for you today, so many tips. So we're going to start with the water-specific ones, and then we're going to move along and do a deeper dive into some other tips that we can all take away to make our lawns and our yards a little bit more eco-friendly. When it comes to water, water plants by hand instead of using an irrigation system because irrigation systems can waste an awful lot of water. Now, if you want to take that a step further, there are smart irrigation systems on the market today. There is something so wasteful about a sprinkler running the morning after a good long thunderstorm, right? (laughs) But that's the reality that many owners of irrigation systems face. You set the schedule and the sprinklers come on without any deviation to that schedule. That's old school irrigation. New school irrigation has controllers that are smart. They monitor the weather and the soil conditions and evaporation and plant water use, and then they automatically adjust the watering schedule to the actual conditions of your yard. 
So my first tip for you today is either water by hand or invest in a smart irrigation system if by the off chance you are in the market for an irrigation system. Next up is to use a broom to clean your patio and your driveway. Don't use the hose. So my husband and I actually have an electric blower and it is useless for anything except blowing pine needles. So we use the electric blower. But if we didn't, we would get out the good old-fashioned broom. No more wasting water to clean our walkways, right? Next up when it comes to water is if you have a garden, water those plants in the early morning or evening so that the water doesn't evaporate in the heat that's caused by the sun. You should aim to water between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. when the air is cool and there's not going to be as much evaporation. If you can't water between 6 and 10 a.m., then water in the late afternoon because that would be the next best option. When you're watering, you should water at the base of the plants rather than overhead. And there are benefits to soaker hoses as opposed to just sprayers because soakers save water by slowly delivering the water to the roots of your plants. Okay, now we're going to move on to some other, <laughs> some other tips. The next one is to embrace native plants in your yard. Now, what is a native plant? A native plant is a plant that naturally grows in your location. They are accustomed to your unique growing conditions, so they are low maintenance. And once established, they require less water. They have fewer pest and disease problems because in their genetics, in their DNA, they are meant to live in your yard, my friend. So for me personally, <laughs> in the Northeast, planting native plants means not planting that beautiful hibiscus plant that likes tropical and semi-tropical locations, right? Instead, I need to embrace the ferns, <laughs> which grow all over my yard, whether I want them to or not. The hibiscus may be prettier, but the fern is more environmentally friendly for where I live. When it comes to your grass, now this was something shocking to me <laughs> as I was researching this episode, and maybe it will be for you too. When it comes to your grass, Keep your grass high and dry. So what does that mean? That means that when you are mowing, leave the grass higher. So you should cut it no more than one third of the total blade length at a time. And instead, you should mow more frequently. When your grass is higher, your lawn will retain more water and be healthier. So definitely not minimalist to cut your lawn more often, but absolutely more eco-friendly. Now, when you're cutting, you should leave your grass clippings on the lawn. Oh my goodness, I know that your neighbors are gonna be <laughs> making fun of you, giving your yard the side eye if you keep your grass clippings on the lawn, but just go for it. Grass clippings are 75 to 85% water and they are also rich in nitrogen, so they will keep your lawn moist and healthy. Now, if you absolutely cannot bear to leave those clippings on the lawn, put them in your compost bin. And that leads me to my next tip, which is use that gardener's gold. Composting not only keeps your kitchen scraps out of the trash, which we've talked about so many times on this podcast, but compost also improves drainage and water retention in your garden. 
So if you want to make 2020 the year that you start composting, check out episode 81 of this show. The episode was called How to Make Great Compost with Very Little Effort. And that episode will set you up with everything you need to know to compost successfully once and for all. Now, here's an advanced strategy for some of you, and it is to consider a grass alternative. There are living grass alternatives, ground covers, and there are artificial ones. I'm not going to go into all the options for you today, but do know that ground cover has many advantages over grassed lawns. Ground cover requires little or no mowing, no additional watering, and no pesticides or herbicides. Really quick, just two ground covers that are alive that you could plant instead of grass would be moss. Moss does really well in shaded areas. It's green even in summer. It's soft. Kids love running on it. And another one would be clover. Clover is great for areas that are in full sun and it stays green even in droughts, which we are going through right now in the Northeast. It smells good. The bees love the clover when it blooms, and the bunnies love it to just munch on. We have so many bunnies in our yard because half of my lawn is clover, and that was by accident. (laughs) Now, if you're interested in a non-living grass alternative, you could consider artificial turf which requires no mowing, no watering, no fertilizing, none of it. And if you're thinking, oh, heck no, I do not want my lawn to look like a baseball field, know that it is incredibly lifelike. Converts to artificial turf tell me that you have to inspect it quite closely to know that it's not real grass. One other non-living alternative to grass could be rocks, pebbles. I saw a lot of this in front yards when I visited Arizona, which of course is a desert region a few years back. Instead of trying to keep up with the watering needs of living in a desert by planting grass, maybe you just go for the rocks. Now, if you are not ready to just rip up your lawn and plant moss or put down rocks, Instead, maybe you consider being more incremental in your approach by just taking a corner of your lawn and replacing it with a bed of native plants or mulch or to put the swing set for your kids, or maybe you plant a fairy garden for your children. Maybe you just pull up some of your lawn instead of the whole thing. Now, when the fall comes, and I have said before how much I Love the beauty of fall, but hate the work. You know, the raking, the bagging, all that baloney. Instead of raking and blowing and bagging, let the leaves lie and cut them into tiny bits with your lawnmower instead. This will save you from having to do the worst job on earth, which of course is raking. But the shredded leaves will add nutrients to your soil as they decompose. And finally, my final tip for you today is to remember those pollinators. Plant a garden that includes plants that flowers at different times of the year. That's really key. So that they are providing the nectar and the pollen for the pollinators throughout the growing season. And of course, whenever possible, choose those native plants that flower in a variety of flowers and shapes. Phew. So that was an awful lot (laughs) today. 
If I went too fast, if you missed something, if you need additional clarification, check out this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 138. That's mamaminimalist.com forward slash 138. I've listed everything we talked about today as well as this week's two sponsors all there for you in handy dandy bullet point form. Now on next week's episode, I'm really excited to be starting a new series, which I am affectionately calling Self-Sufficiency Baby Steps. And so next week, I am thrilled to both introduce you to the series and also get you excited by offering up some self-sufficiency ideas for beginners. I will see you then. Have an amazing week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends.